Imagine practicing medicine at an altitude of 17,000 feet, with Mount Everest literally standing right outside your front door. What kind of challenges would you face on a daily basis? Managing altitude sicknesses, for sure. But what about the constant threat of all your IV fluids freezing? Or proving day in and day out why duct tape may just be the most essential all-purpose medical tool ever created? That's just the tip of the proverbial iceberg, or mountain in this case, for today's discussion. This is ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me to talk about living and practicing in one of the highest elevation regions on Earth is Dr. Luann Freer, founder and director of Everest ER, the medical clinic operating in Mount Everest Base Camp. Dr. Freer, welcome to the program. I'm delighted to join you today. Great to have you with us. So to start, and I'm going to go with the most basic primer I can think of here, how did you wind up at Mount Everest? I know, right? My mom still asks that. You know, I, I had a reporter call me once and say, were you raised by wolves or how do you prepare for that? The simple answer is that I followed my intuition that this was a good move for me. I wet my appetite on the idea of practicing in the mountains when I took my very first job out of my emergency medical training in Yellowstone National Park. And I was really just intrigued with the idea of practicing in the wilderness also with the idea of learning the doctrine of wilderness medicine and, of course, was exposed to some moderate altitude there. And it made sense that I wanted to know more and I wanted to learn more about altitude. And I just followed a really amazing invitation to join a group of physicians in 1999 and the rest was history. I love the narrative that you're making here in which you were exposed to moderate elevations. And then the natural next step for you was, well, might as well take it to the most extreme elevation possible by any measure. But for many other people, that would not be the most natural step. So I do love that you went there because very few others would have. But as I understand it, you're also no stranger to practicing in other challenging environments. You practiced in Sierra Leone to combat the Ebola outbreak. Isn't that right? That's true. And I admittedly walked into that situation in Western Africa with knowing very little about hemorrhagic fevers or certainly about Ebola or tropical medicine. I like to follow my intuition, my desire to combine my practice of medicine, which I love, with my passion for any wilderness or austere environment. But the third piece of that magic recipe for me is when I can use that skill practicing medicine in an austere environment with the idea of philanthropy or helping people who are in need. For me, that's been my personal joy is combining those three things. Really, I'm constantly on the lookout for opportunities where I can continue to learn but marry these three things, profession, passion, and philanthropy. That's how I got to Everest, and that's how I got to West Africa as well. That's excellent, Dr. Freer. Thank you. Well, why don't we focus back in on Everest and specifically Everest ER. You and your colleagues, as you mentioned, helped found that clinic back in 1999. But how did you go about doing that? And who then and now does that clinic serve? I was working as a volunteer physician for the Himalayan Rescue Association, which I quickly applied for after my very first trip to Nepal. I wanted to return and serve the Sherpa people that really captivated my heart. I was working in a clinic on the Everest circuit or on the route to Everest at about 14,000 feet for about four months. 
and I saw the incredible need that existed up on Everest. There were a few doctors up there, but they were either climbers or they were contracted with a specific team only to take care of their team members. And I was uh, surprised and chagrined to find that some of them had very little, if any, training or expertise in wilderness or altitude or mountain medicine. And in fact, watched a physician who was very well intended, but watched him almost kill his Nepali cook because he didn't understand the proper treatment of high altitude cerebral edema. That's understandable. That's not a doctrine that's taught in a lot of medical schools or residencies. But nevertheless, I saw an incredible need there, a need for experienced physicians who were well-trained in mountain medicine. And then I saw the need of the Sherpa people who are the majority of the population at base camp. They're doing all of the hard work there. But some of them were being forced to walk for several days just to get medical care if they weren't lucky enough to be on a team with a physician. So I saw this opportunity to create a clinic that would provide experienced physicians. And our current structure is the exact same as the day we first opened the tent. And that was we collect money from the relatively wealthy foreigners who are climbing the mountain to subsidize free or very low-cost health care for the Nepalis. We're working so hard to make the Westerners' dreams come true. Well, that's a really interesting and intuitive business model that you erected to be able to sustain the practice. But let me turn back to that idea of experience and specifically mountain medicine experience. Given the elevation that we're talking about here, could anything, and I mean anything, really have prepared you for working on Everest and managing the day-to-day? The honest answer is heck no, but (laughs) nevertheless, I took advantage of a lot of courses offered through the Wilderness Medical Society and offered through other vendors that would help me learn as much as I could about altitude and specifically mountain medicine. I did hone my practice in Yellowstone, and albeit not as austere as Everest, I was able to get a fair amount of experience with the milder spectrum of altitude illness and treating it. But I wasn't prepared for some of the challenges that wouldn't occur or didn't occur to me, which are, you know, how are we going to power our equipment when we have such dry, cold, windy conditions? You know, you take for granted in your hospital back home that your IV fluids are going to be room temperature and they're not going to freeze or your medicines are going to be properly labeled and familiar to you, not written in a foreign language or foreign script. And you take for granted that you're going to go home at night and sleep on a mattress and get a good night's sleep and not be fighting the cold or the wind or whatever else might keep you awake all night in a mountain setting on a moving glacier. Yeah, I learned on the job, and I would be the first to tell you that our first season was very disappointing at times, heartbreaking at times, but we saved a few lives, and they reminded me of the real reason that we were there. And coerced me to come back the next year, admittedly a little bit better prepared and better funded. Well, for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. My guest is Dr. Luann Freer, founder and director of Everest ER, the world's highest elevation medical center. So Dr. Freer, you've given us a fantastic overview of some of these unique conditions that you've encountered out there through the years, but I'm also curious about the day-to-day scope of practice. And I mentioned earlier that idea of having to make good on low supplies and multi-using everything to make sure that your equipment and fluids don't freeze. What are the kinds of challenges would you encounter out there that you now talk to others about in terms of preparing for compared to their work back home? Working in a mountain environment is not for everyone. It certainly takes the kind of person who is more turned on by the idea of needing to improvise and think outside the box. 
than somebody who needs a really predictable setting to practice. So it's not for everyone, but for those of us who choose to do it, it really is exciting and it's a real challenge to use our medical skills in a way that it's simply not conventional and really see a challenge and are happy to try to invent new ways to do things. I remember our first season before we had solar charging available at the clinic, just trying to deal with a generator that wasn't putting out the voltage that we thought it was. I literally blew up a satellite phone and about 50 light bulbs. And I remember that I wasn't prepared for the glacier to actually melt on some of the warmer days. And I found almost our entire formulary of medicines underwater one afternoon. So it's more of the logistical things that are quite challenging there. The medicine certainly is challenging, but there's almost a freedom I see in not having all of the imaging, you know, CAT scans and laboratory tests that you might enjoy at home. You really have to rely on your clinical skills. You actually have to listen to heart sounds and breath sounds and rely on the stuff you learned. To me, it feels like the most pure practice of medicine It's kind of what I went into medicine for, was to be a clinician. And some of my colleagues drool at the idea that there's very little record keeping and there's certainly no complicated coding or contracting with, you know, businesses or insurance companies. It kind of frees you up to really practice medicine. Even if it's for a short time, a lot of us find a real relief in that. At least I've found enough people who are willing to volunteer that that's a real draw. Well, that definitely gives us a good sense of practicing free, even though technically there's a risk of freezing, to put it one way. But what about any personal cases or experiences? You talked about, obviously, the equipment issues, such as having equipment literally explode on you. That's memorable. And having it flood during a glacier melting, also very memorable. But you also talked about your very first year and how despite the daunting and overwhelming challenges that there were, you still came away from it having saved lives and how fulfilling that was. So are there any personal stories or experiences that you'd like to share for those of us, and myself definitely included, who are completely naive to how things really are out there? There are a couple of them that I will never forget. And our very first season, as I mentioned, it was quite a challenge. A lot of our equipment was broken. I was alone in the Everest Base Camp with Lachmanor Sherpa, who was my right-hand man and continues to be into our 16th season, who manages most of the logistics for us and is quite a talented technical rescuer and climber as well. At any rate, the two of us were manning the clinic. Somebody ran over to our clinic and said, hey, we've got a drunk Sherpa who we want to carry over here. Maybe you can sober him up. They carried in this fellow who was unconscious, clearly not well. They carried him over from a camp where there was a physician. She saw this Sherpa kind of stagger into camp, and everybody thought he was drunk. So they carried him over. In fact, he was not drunk. He was suffering from high-altitude cerebral edema. One of the telltale signs of that is ataxia or a stumbling, drunken-looking gait. And indeed, he was about to die. I was so grateful they carried him over. We were able to give him quickly a dose of dexamethasone, a high-powered steroid, put him on all the oxygen that we had, and quickly throw him into our portable hyperbaric chamber that simulates a descent. So we were able to simulate a descent from about 17,600 feet down to about 10,000 feet, which in combination with the oxygen and the steroid, literally within 15 minutes, brought this man back to consciousness. We were able to continue treatment, save his life, get him home to his wife and his two children. That really was the reason we were there. 
one case where we were able to save a life that certainly would have been lost because there was somebody who didn't have the experience to recognize what they were dealing with. That one case made me sure that we needed to do this, continue this clinic in whatever way that we could. And I'll never forget him. That is an amazing story, Dr. Freer. Thank you. One of my last questions for you is how your ER has responded in the wake of some of the most devastating events to have occurred and hit uh, Nepal, such as the earthquake that hit in 2015. Was the ER in a good position to be able to help despite being at that kind of elevation? Physically, no, because our clinic tent was right in the path of the biggest blast, and our camp was completely leveled. It continues to be a miracle to me that we didn't lose anybody in our camp. We had a few injuries, but we felt really fortunate. What our doctors were able to do was marshal a bunch of strength and volunteers to carry most of our supplies up to a safe area on the mountain that was about a half-hour walk and get a ton of volunteers and any of the doctors that were in base camp at the time of the earthquake that were not injured themselves helped out and carried out a massive casualty incident where we had, I think the final count was about 90 patients cared for in different tents sorted out by their type of injury. It was quite an amazing response. I'm real proud of our team that they were able to stabilize, save some lives, get everybody off the mountain that needed to get off, and ignore their personal hardships in, in the process of it. And that's wonderful to hear about the heroism from you and your colleagues during that very difficult time. I'm sure many of our audience would wonder, how does one possibly respond in an environment like that, so elevated, so extreme and austere, when a disaster strikes? And my hat's off to you and your team. Why don't we look ahead then? My last question to you is, what's next for Everest ER? You know, what's been real interesting for me over the last few years is realizing that our mission has changed and has required us to kind of reevaluate what we're doing up there. In a good way, the positive is that there is a bit more money in Nepal and there's a bit more private industry bringing in very expensive and well-appointed helicopters that can fly much higher. They're much safer. There's quite a competition for the climbers that are on Everest. So it's the positive side of capitalism, I suppose. When I first started, we had no helicopters that could safely land in base camp. And now there are probably seven or eight of them on call at any one time. So we can easily get people off the mountain. What we're seeing is that more and more of them are going higher to pick up patients at higher camps and completely bypassing the clinic. So we're tending to see that's great for patient care. It's more than a little bit concerning regarding the safety aspects in some of these high-altitude rescues that are being done, but we still have a huge role there. What I've personally decided to do since the Everest ER is humming along is that I have transitioned most of the operations over to a Nepali NGO directorship. I'm continuing to stay involved in orienting and choosing the physicians that volunteer, but I've moved my efforts down to building a hospital in a lower village that was hit quite hard by the earthquake. They don't have as many trekkers that come through or as many dollars to spend, and so I'm turning my focus personally to a needier area while staying a little bit more peripherally involved with the Everest ER. We've recruited for the 2018 season. Another change is that we're having more Nepali physicians on our staff, which is really was the dream at the very start of the clinic inception, which was to turn it over to all Nepalis. So we're going to have two Nepali doctors and one Western doctor on the mountain in the spring of 2018. I look forward to continuing that trend. 
And I think I can safely speak for everybody here that we definitely wish you the same success, this inspiring work that you and your colleagues have done out there. We do hope the very best for you. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Luann Freer, for joining me today to talk about medicine in the mountains. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. To access this episode and others about practicing in extreme environments, visit ReachMD.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.